to Comrades and Farms here on Truth Frequency Radio, iHeart, tuned in, talk stream live, and also stream live on the Pharmacy Seeds Network YouTube channel. That's F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, as in let food be thy medicine. Tonight's guest is Kylie Victoria. She was on here with me last week, and we had an excellent conversation about uh, health and nutrition and uh, journey to health. And uh, she's back this week, and we're going to carry on our discussion. So uh, let's just make sure we're connected and our audio is working and all the streams are working. Hopefully we won't have any technical issues this week. Uh, Let's see. How are you tonight, uh, Kylie? I'm good. I think we're actually starting off on a technical issue because your your picture is down. (laughs) Uh, uh, For for you, you mean, on Skype? Oh, okay. I guess, yeah. Uh, Let me see if I can sort that out quick. Uh, Ah. It's always so much fun dealing with Skype. I can't wait to leave Skype behind. <laughs> well, Zoom isn't much better, so <laughs> I'm not no, sure. No, that the... was kind of quirky too, wasn't it? Yeah. Let me see if I can get you a video feed here. You seeing that at all? No, but you know, um, I can go without it. It's fine. Okay. All right. Anyway. <laughs> well, I apologize for that. That's um, okay. It looks like it's at least working on YouTube, so that's good. Uh, can everybody on the YouTube chat hear us? And I'll welcome everyone while I wait for an answer on that. Uh, YTFP Chris. Ah. YTFP Chris, Mike Gematria, Aaron Heister, Robert Hayes, and uh, Kiki Gardens. Hello, everyone. I uh, hope you are all well this evening. Um, I wanted to start off with an article. I know I mentioned this to you before the show, but I hadn't had a chance to uh, actually share it with you yet. So I uh, just want to read this article about honeybees using tools as a way to fend off against murder hornets, the big murder hornet scare, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the article is from uh, SciTechDaily.com. It says, honeybees use animal dung to fend off giant murder hornets. Um, the world's largest hornet, the Asian giant bee hornet, has been popularly dubbed the murder hornet. Um, honeybees spread animal dung on the entrance of their hives to effectively ward off giant hornets. Uh, what's the west- best way to ward off giant hornets if you're a honeybee? Animal dung, according to a first-ever University of Guelph study. U of G researchers who discover honeybees in Vietnam collect and apply spots of animal dung around hive entrances to deter deadly nest raids by Asian hornets, uh, whose North American cousin have been dubbed murder hornets. This finding is also the first to document the use of tools by honeybees. An invasive species in North America that came originally from Asia, giant hornets are almost as long as a golf tee uh, and pack about seven times as much venom in a single sting as an ordinary honeybee. Murder hornets were discovered in 2019 in British Columbia and Washington. The arrival of venomous insect in North America has raised concerns about human safety as well as threats to local honeybees and ecosystems. Uh, U of G professor Gard Otis, who has studied honeybees in Vietnam for decades, said the hornets could ultimately carry out similar honeybee hive raids in North America. Giant hornets are the biggest wasp that threaten honeybees. They're, uh, they're one of their most significant predators, said the environmental sciences professor. Otis conducted a study with lead author Heather Matilla, who, who completed her Ph.D. at the University of Guelph in 2006 and is now a biology professor at Wesley College in Massachusetts. Other co-authors were former U of, grad, U of G grad students Han Pham and Olivia Knight. I hope I'm not butchering those names too much. As well as Ngoc Pham and Lian Nguyen in Vietnam. Um, 
published recently in the journal Plus One, the study was conducted in Vietnam, where UG researchers talking too fast. <laughs> researchers studied V. Sorosaur, which is the uh, hornet, I guess. Um, these two species are the only hornets that recruit nestmates and organize attacks that can lead to nest breaches, said Otis. The hornets raid nests, killing bees and carrying away larvae and pupae to feed their own developing brood. The researchers found that honeybees had developed a preemptive defense by collecting animal dung and applying it to hive entrances. This study demonstrates a fairly remarkable trait these bees have to defend themselves against a really awful predator, said Matilla. She said, uh, unlike their Asian counterparts, honeybees in Canada lack similar defenses. That means North American beekeepers would have to rely on destroying the hornet's nests or hope that climate or other factors will limit the spread. Referring to Apis mellifera, the honeybee species commonly found in Canada, Matilla said they haven't had the opportunity to evolve defenses. It's like going into a war cold. Otis began the project after asking beekeepers in Vietnam about dark spots at hive entrances of Asian honeybees. As part of a successful beekeeping development project funded by the Canadian government, he ran fall workshops in 2007 to 2011 in rural villages with high levels of poverty. During one visit, an experienced beekeeper explained that the substance was buffalo dung. All the beekeepers said that Otis worked with linked. Otis worked with linked these hives spots with hornets. Uh, dung collection is behavior never previously reported for honeybees and no one had studied the phenomenon he said Um, the researchers gathered dung from water buffalo chickens, pigs and cows and placed it in mounds near an apiary by the end of the day some 150 bees had visited the piles particularly collecting the more odiferous manure of pigs and chickens the team marked individual bees to identify them at their hives minutes later they recorded videos of the bees applying the material at the nest entrances the hornets spent less than half as much time at nest entrances with moderate to heavy dung spotting as they did at hives with few spots, and they spent only one-tenth as much time chewing at the hive entrances to get at the bees' brood. They were also less likely to launch mass attacks in the more heavily spotted hives. The researchers are unsure just what deters the hornets, although they suspect the insects are repelled by the smell of the dung. Uh, dung may also mask odors emitted by the bees. To further understand the hornet's behaviors, researchers extracted the chemical pheromone applied by hornets when marking their target hive. When the pheromone was applied to the bees' entrances, it prompted honeybees to apply dung to the hive. Many scientists disagree over whether certain animals, let alone insects, use tools. To qualify as tool users, animals must meet several criteria, including using an object from the environment, in this case dung. The bees clearly use the material to alter the hive with purpose, said Otis, and they shape it and mold it with their mouth, part, with their mouth parts, which he said meets the test of holding or manipulating a tool. Beekeeping in Vietnam normally control hornets by standing guard and swatting away individuals, preventing them from escalating their attacks. If you allow them, a group of hornets assembles, attacks the colony, and takes over. The beekeepers control them every day by moving along their hives and whacking hornets. Can you imagine having to stand outside your hive and fight hornets? <laughs> <laughs> Otis, Otis said he was terrified at first uh, working near giant hornets. The hazmat suits typically worn for protection by researchers in Japan were impractical in, in the Vietnamese heat, he added. Within a few days, the team learned that the hornets were not defensive when they were not in the, when they were in the apiary and away from their own nest. I got stung by one. It was the most excruciating sting in my life, he said. All right, that's the end of the article. Anyway, it's interesting. They're using tools. Um, and uh, it seems to be a, a semi-effective method, at least for them. 
Yeah, what's what's interesting as well is like how they came to that conclusion. You know, they obviously found some dung and then started playing around with it and then decided that that was a good defense mechanism. And it's just, you know, at what expense too? Like, what are the repercussions of them being exposed to that dung as well? Do they not have the same sort of like sensory perception to be completely appalled by living in, you know, like basically a, a hive of dung at that point or just like, <laughs> I feel bad for the bees that they had to resort to this, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I wondered that too. And then, uh, and yeah, they, I mean, they were talking about they were manipulating it with their mouth parts. And I'm just like, man, that's yeah. a really that's crappy thing to have to do to like, I mean, uh, what is that movie with Andy Dufresne where he breaks out of prison by calling through the, uh, the poop pipe from the prison, you know? Oh like, my God. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that, but that sounds along the same lines and equally awful, if not worse. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that's, that's a, that's a poor, that's, you know, like that's, I mean, dung is a natural product, but it's just kind of unfortunate to like develop as a species to the point where now you have to be using that just to, just to get by and ward off, you know, predators and hostile other insects. So yeah. then again, there's always the dung beetle who's been rolling that ball of shit around for a long time. So <laughs> <laughs> he's okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of weird applications of uh, feces in nature, huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I didn't mean to take us down a whole poop pathway, but uh, I just thought okay the, artic- the article is interesting. And also I found it interesting that the bees are using tools. Um, yes. You know, it's also I, like, I got to wonder, like, you know, they're looking at that as the bees using tools, but what about, what about creating wax and like building honeycombs, like all the complex intricate things that they do? Are those not also tools? Yeah, that, that, um, caught my attention as well, because now it seems like the idea of tool is really vague in its own category, because it seems like, what was the definition that, um, it was something that they took from the natural environment and manipulated. But like you said, like, there are a lot of different, they, you know, when they, they form different things with different um, substances from the environment, could that not be also categorized as tools? And you can also think like, well, what about those ant colonies that, you know, they basically chew through soil and make these huge intricate network cities basically underneath the ground and sometimes with like weather erosion, um, the soil gets displaced and you can kind of see these formations is that not also a tool as well? You know what that's, I mean? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I know uh, I know. somewhere along the lines when I was listening to some of the Sasquatch Chronicles episodes, they were talking about uh, the Sasquatch using tools, uh, rocks and logs and, you know, all kinds right. of stuff. Um, it got me interested in the whole tool thing, but this seems like a new, like, a new approach to things. It seems like most of the animals have some form of tool that they use. It's like, it's kind of weird to like, suddenly this whole tool thing comes up. Like I don't remember this conversation in any of my like, uh, biology or science classes when I was younger, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think a lot of things have been dismissed as well. You know, now that you mentioning Sasquatch and whatnot, like I remember specifically the birds of paradise, um, you know, they, I think uh, a male bird will collect a bunch of different sticks and pebbles and 
you know, little berries and kind of decorate them outside of his nest. And, and that'll be like some sort of offering basically to attract a female. So now it feels like that whole category of using tools as well is like very broad but, and, and more yeah. commonly recognized, I guess, in, in science or that's, that's what we're calling it now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like they're just like, <laughs> like they're kind of tools and like creating a new term to like look at it from, right? Like any perspective yeah. to look at it from. <laughs> yeah. It's almost yeah, like, I, it's you, almost like, you, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, it was almost kind of like trying to humanize uh, or bring that, yeah, basically a human element to a bunch of different species that have been doing this sort of thing or have this knowledge of uh, doing this, this tool work per se. Um, but you know, trying to make it seem like really profound as if it's a new discovery. You know, I don't know. Maybe I feel like yeah. I'm not doing that justice, but. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's like, like they're just trying to come up with a new, a new thing to study almost like that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, you got to get your research funded somehow, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's like the sad part of the whole research thing, right? It's like, it goes back to funding. If you can't get funding, you can't do the research. And, well, from from my own experience of being in biology for a good portion of um, university, um, I've noticed that when you conduct an experiment and your results are inconclusive, you often want to sway them so they mean something, so they engage some sort of interest, and you have someone who is more invested in your further research, despite the fact that they could just be totally random, completely meaningless. And it just, there's almost like a push to, to portray it in a way that at least something was gained out of it, even though oftentimes there's nothing. So <laughs> it's kind of like cheating a little bit, but I see it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's like, I guess that's one of the consequences of kind of being stuck into a structural system, right? Like, I mean, on the one hand, you kind of need that, for the the finance part of it to make all the research possible but on the other hand it kind of gets in the way of itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah for sure well, we're getting all sorts of uh, audio issue reports on YouTube so I'm going to uh, I'm going to try and stop the stream and, and start it back up but we can just keep talking we're still live on TFR so um, okay, sure. I know you had mentioned about uh, some of the really interesting bird behaviors that you were telling me about. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could share some of uh, some of that with us. Sure. Actually, I would love to go on a small tangent, if you don't mind. <laughs> um, so, so you know how in 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 life, people always say, "Don't judge a book by its cover." You know, get to know someone. You shouldn't have any sort of qualms about the way that someone looks or anything like I I believe that to a certain degree but I also see that in nature animals are incredibly judgmental and these birds for instance if um you know it's always a female that picks the male because she wants to have the best mate um for her offspring so basically if if a male even has a feather that's um lacking in symmetry with the rest of his body, 
he's basically passed off as not good enough. And they have this weird, crazy obsession with symmetry, with uh, color brought on by, like, carotenoid pigments. I can't remember if we personally had this conversation or if I spoke of it in the last um, episode where birds... um, I think it's specifically robins will eat a bunch of this sort of berry that causes them yeah. to basically, did I send that on the last podcast? I can't remember. Yeah. No, I don't think it was the last podcast, but it was definitely one of our conversations. I was fascinated by that. So, so for our listeners, um, another great way that a female bird picks a, a great male is <laughs> to basically get him as drunk as possible and see if he can still fly. So he will, um, eat these berries that have carotenoid pigments in them and it'll turn his breast really, really red, but it makes them basically drunk and they have a really hard time flying. So if they're capable of flying and not being eaten or smashing into a window, um, the female will pick that male and the way that she'll be able to tell how good he is, how physically fit he is, um, is basically the, the red breast area that's you know triggered by just the pigments in in the diet so yeah birds are like ruthless when (laughs) with how they pick their mates it's really interesting that's it's interesting that's actually yeah it's not just birds like nature in general is like that as far as picking mates goes it's very like you know you gotta pass every test or you fail right like you miss one mark fail next right (laughs) yeah ruthless Yeah. Unfortunately, we no longer have to um, prescribe to that. Well, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know which way you want to look at it, but there's no more fitness tests for the human race. So (laughs) this is why we are the way we are. (laughs) Yeah. And and then, you know, we're interfering with the natural cycle of things in so many ways, both in our bodies and then in in the normal natural selection part of things, too, you know, like. Yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. Uh, it's be interesting to see how this evolves in the next thousand years and, and what, what humans become, right? Like, well, a thousand is very hopeful. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if we make 50, we might be doing good. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I know, hey? You know, honestly, a few more years and I'm like, I'm happy with that. <laughs> We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to finish my lifetime, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm going to stop the. We're still getting streaming issues on YouTube. I don't know what YouTube's problem is, but I'm going to stop the YouTube stream just so I, we have clean audio. And we'll just go from there on uh, TFR. Um, okay. So uh, let me just tell people in chat. Sure. I still haven't been able to figure out what's behind that. Um, we'll straighten that out another time. TFR.com slash live. So, um, yeah, the whole bird mating thing is fascinating. and uh, It's just amazing how, how specific it has to be. In order okay. for order for them to accept the mate, uh, and it's interesting. The chickens have something like that too. Uh, like uh, like even though we see the rooster as like the the dominant um, 
part of that equation, right? Like, mm-hmm. if a hen doesn't accept the rooster, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's interesting how, like, uh, the female makes the selection in there. Yeah. I, I say that it's more often um, the female selection with most species. Because a lot of times, like, with coloring and patterns in nature, the men are more vibrant and more interesting to look at, whereas, especially in birds, you see a lot of the female birds kind of being more dull patterned and um, or colored. And that's just because, you know, every male wants to find a female for him to pass on his genetic um, makeup and procreate. But, um, you know, unfortunately, that's not the case. There's a lot of rejection involved, and it's up to the female to decide that. So it's not really... She's going to be sought after regardless, but it's on the man to basically present as well as he can, or yeah. the male, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. prove prove uh, prove your worth, kind of thing, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Interesting. interesting how all that works. Well, I know uh, I know I had mentioned before uh, the show I wanted to talk a little bit about food labeling. Um, I guess I wanted to like ask you what your experience has been with food labeling. I know we talked a lot about diet and nutrition last week, but I don't think we really got into like food labels and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You were mentioning a while back when we were talking about how the the uh, the food label system is a little different in Canada than it is in the U.S. Can yeah, you, I I sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, could you maybe start with that? So, because pe- I think most of our listeners are well, I could be wrong, but I think most of our listeners are U.S. listeners. So yeah. maybe you just kind of. Give a quick rundown. Um, I, I noticed that like a lot of the the labeling and the the products in the states had much um, longer labels, and there are more questionable materials. And oh, here a visual just came back on. But anyway, uh, um, I just felt like looking, like picking up a product in the states and trying to read what was in it was so off-putting. Uh, here, for the most part, like. I would say I take pretty good care of myself and I, I'm conscientious to say the least about what I actually put in my body and I'll look at labels and not to read the full thing, but if it's like, it's kind of like if it seems too long to me to bother reading through it, it's already bad. You know, like it, yeah. why we have all these extra ingredients. And I just felt when I was down in the South, um, you know, these labels were huge. Everything really had, not, not only was a lot of stuff really synthetic, um, but, you know, it definitely had as um, repercussions when I actually started eating like that and my body basically fell apart. <laughs> so, yeah, was, in Canada, we have, um, we have, for the most part, like, it really depends what you're eating. You can definitely, you know, go to Walmart and find yourself some really crappy food and stuff. But a lot of the places around here are kind of places that either have our farms locally and... Um, and like bread products are all made local too. So there's kind of like a, a lack of preservative in a lot of the foods here. Um, but then again, like, I don't know what goes into the seed and everything, that whole process. I don't think, I don't think there many people really do know about that. And you know, one thing I'll say that I think is really interesting that there's almost nothing on the label is um, for alcohol, like for beer, you know, specifically um, yeah. or wine. Yeah. There's just, there's nothing like, Geez, like sometimes it's even hard to find like what percentage it is for alcohol. Yeah. But the, you know, like there's absolutely nothing on there, and there should be information because you're consuming it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's more than just uh, 
you know, one ingredient in there too. We're about a minute from the break here, but yeah, you know, there's a lot more ingredients than just, you know, it's not just like water and like alcohol, like Mm -hmm. to make any of those beverages, there's, you know, there's all sorts of ingredients and they don't, they don't list them. They don't talk about the sources for them. And and like you said, I've noticed recently, I can't even find how much alcohol is in in some of the like alcoholic beverages, Mm -hmm. which seems really strange to me. It used to be like a big deal. They had to label it, right? It's like, you've done away with that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really like kind of suspicious that all of a sudden, you know, like, again, you're, you're consuming something. Why isn't there any information on it whatsoever? You know, like even to find like for me when in the past I would have wanted to know the, the, the caloric count or whatever, but there's nothing. And especially for people who are like celiac too, it often doesn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially for anybody on a, on like a diet where they can't, there's certain stuff they can't eat. Like I know, like like for like nuts and stuff, there's a big deal. Like you, you know, if it was even processed in a facility where nuts are processed, they have to label it. Mm-hmm. But like, it seems like aside from that allergy thing, there's like nothing about it. There's the music. We're going to the break, so we'll see you guys on the inside of the break. TFR. My faith in destiny is all I need to prevail. Truth Frequency Radio. back to Truth Frequency Radio here on, welcome back to Comrades and Farms here on Truth Frequency Radio, iHeart, tuned in, talk stream live, and usually on the Pharmacy Seas Network YouTube channel, but again, we're having glitches over there, got some upgrades to do for uh, the coming 2021 year, I think, but uh, tonight's guest is Kyla Victoria, and uh, we were talking, we talked a little bit about honeybees and uh, interesting bird mating behaviors and that sort of thing, and then we were on to food labels, and Kyla was talking a little bit about uh some of the labeling systems in Canada and the food system in Canada. And there, uh, there's definitely a difference uh, between the United States and Canada just uh, just on that side of things. Um, I know before the break you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, well, we were both talking about how, uh, like, even that, even the alcohol isn't uh, doesn't really have ingredients in it at all, which is seems kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I have the same thing. Like, when I read a label, like, if there's... You know, if there's more than like five or ten ingredients and like I would have trouble pronouncing some of them, it kind of is like, okay, I know that's bad. So that's not, that's just out. That's a, not an option, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also like how I was saying, you know, you can go to Walmart and find some stuff and, and then there's a lot of places around here that have more local stuff. I think that really is dependent on the scale of production if you are you know, you want a mass production that's going to be in a store for long enough for it to be picked up. Um, you have to put all those preservatives in it. It needs a much longer shelf life. That's going to add to the length of the label. You're going to have all these weird 
crazy words you can't pronounce, basically contributing to keep this food in a state that's consumable, but it also kind of makes it less and less of actual food. Whereas you go into a local store, you don't really have those ingredients because things get picked up faster, but they're also more expensive. And I think it's a way better investment of your money to buy food that's better for you. The ingredients are quality for the most part. That type of food is going to fill you up a lot more, whereas this stuff that has this huge shelf life, A, should be a red flag to begin with, but B, like that's just a bunch of filler. It's fluff. It's not food. And you can tell the way when you're eating it how your body will respond to that, if you're, especially if you're not used to it. So basically, you shut down, you get blood sugar crashes. It's, it can be really, really difficult. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, yeah, I remember uh, a friend of mine who's also, you know, kind of tuned into what, what what you should and shouldn't eat. And uh, his he was trying to, like, get his parents to come around to, like, eating healthier. And, like, his mom would just go to the store and buy all this crap. And, like, she brought this, like, uh, just, like, a, a store-made, like, cake home one time. And we're reading the ingredients, and we're like, titanium dioxide? Really? In a cake? <laughs> you know, like, it sounds like something you, it sounds like something you'd like, uh, you'd dope like an RF circuit with to get good conductivity or something, you know? Like, oh my God, so yeah. Strange, but... <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely throw in a bunch of really bizarre things. And, you know, I think you can definitely tell when you're eating that too. Like, you know, something that was, again, like, I think even when you're going to a restaurant and it seems like a great place to have a meal and they're, you know, ethical or organic, whatever word you want to throw out there for why you're, why you're justifying eating there. Not that there's something wrong with eating at a restaurant, but still like you can, I think that's just eating somewhere like there, you're going to have a lower quality of food because there just isn't the time and care put into cooking a meal like it is at home. And it, you know, like, I'm sure you can go to a store and buy homemade cookies that are great tasting and stuff and healthier, whatever, or whatever word you want to use. But there's nothing like when it really is made at home. Cause I don't know, for some reason, I guess maybe, maybe in every sort of situation where something has a, needs to have a bit of a shelf life, maybe there is some mild form of preservative. It also makes you think like that whole label of organic the idea of organic portrayed to people um, consuming that product is that it's natural, which a natural doesn't mean anything. And organic doesn't really mean what you would think it would. It just means that there are selective, um, a sele- selected, you know, yeah. substances to basically ward off any sort of pests or whatever. yeah it's like it's like a lesser chemical thing but but like here in the u.s you know you can get organic certified as a producer just by not spraying chemicals for three years and when you know what those chemicals half lives are and and what they really do to environmental things and how they impact the environment and how plants metabolize them it's like that's not you know okay you're not spraying chemicals directly on the food that's a great start but it's not you're not anywhere near down the roadway far enough to really be, uh, you know, benefiting people's health on a long-term basis or even mm-hmm. a short-term basis. What do you think the solution to this would be? You know, uh, it's funny cause I was going to ask you a question about regulation up there, but we'll, we'll go back to that. 
I feel like the solution is to build a new system. And, you know, this is kind of something that's come to me in the past year or two. Basically, build new systems to replace old systems that are in place that just never seem to go away. You know, there's always like a lobbyist, a lobbyist organization behind them. There's always like the systemic problems, right? If you have a system with systemic problems, it's really hard to like go into that system and fix it, right? I think the easier solution is to create new alternatives, like maybe create a new food labeling system that uh, that traces where the food comes from and, you know, everything it's been through along its way. You know, if you could scan that into an app and and see on your phone like, oh, this is grown organic on, you know, on a clean and healthy field that was in regenerative agriculture for 10 years and it wasn't processed in a facility where they have all sorts of plastic and other toxins. Like, you know, cause that whole chain is contaminated. That's the problem. It's not even just the producers. Like even the, the processing facilities are contaminated. Some of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I kind of wonder if, um, you know, it would make more sense to also have a movement to more community based agriculture and yeah. just kind of have, you know, we're all, pushing towards this global movement of connectivity and you know it that's great in some in some terms but i think in terms of food it creates this enormous amount of pressure on the land and for to sustain that kind of production you really need you know a little sprinkling of magic in the way of pesticides and chemicals and all sorts of things that are just really difficult um, on the human body in the day too. So I think, you know, really just going back into your roots and, and maybe just not thinking on such a Global broad scale. scale. Yeah. 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 I, you know, that is one thing I always like people ask me, you know, where do I get good food? It's like one of the first things I like to tell people is go talk to your local farmers ask them what their practices are. Like you can't have a better connection to your food than to go find out where it's produced locally and find out what they're doing to make it. You know, are you spraying chemicals? Aren't you spraying chemicals? If you are, what are you spraying? Are you using chemical fertilizers? If you are, what are you using? What are your practices? How do you treat your animals? Like that's a big one. Like this, uh, I, I know you're a vegetarian, but like for those of us who do eat meat, you know, there's a huge difference between an animal that was raised in a healthy environment and treated in an ethical way uh, you know, versus an animal that was just stuffed into a, you know, a, a lot and just, you know, they're walking around in three foot of crap. Like, mm-hmm. that, you know, you really want to eat that? Like, <laughs> Well, just... you know, you can even go into the argument of like stress has bodily harm and mental health effects if you want to even go that that far. But like when you have a certain level of stress in your body, animal or human or whatever, like you have health effects. And then at that point, say it is a chicken, then you're consuming a chicken that has health issues. They're not going to be as healthy. Like it just, it just doesn't, the quality isn't there. And it's like something that's measurable too. It's not just like, Oh, because it was sad or whatever. Like it truly, (laughs) it truly like is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that's, you know, your point is valid there too. It's like all plants, animals, and humans like that, that, the food that we eat is transferred into our system. You know, uh, I think I forget where I read this, but somewhere I read that like 30% of our RNA uh, is affected. It interacts directly with the food we eat. Right. And that applies to all, all plants and animals in the whole food chain. And so, you know, 
like you say, if you if you got sick plants or sick animals, you're eating sick food. You're never going to achieve health when you're eating sick food, right? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's crazy to even think that you would. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of and our food know, is sick. Yeah, and and on this global scale of you know constantly farming huge amounts of food on the same soil, you you deprive it of nutrients if you're not, um, you know. Well, basically, you can't be careful of that situation. You are. And so whatever you're harvesting from there is full of nothing, too. You know, like I remember hearing people complain about how the years back from, like, the 50s until now, the food quality is just, like, so different and just void of any sort of real nutrients. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and there's there's a few fact. well, there's a lot of factors in that, but, uh, you know, it's a combination of how we're treating our soils and those micronutrients are coming out of those soils and we're not replacing them. And, and then the other part of this is like the other big part of this is that farmers are trying to achieve yield and they're not looking at quality at all. Like, uh, Brad, who was on a couple of weeks ago, Brad Lauber, uh, is one of the few independent seed producers here in the United States. And his whole focus on is on nutrition and nutrient density and protein quality I think he was saying uh, like typical soy is around 30% protein and the soy that he's growing is like 42% protein. There's a massive difference in, in just the protein content and that's without looking at the trace mineral nutrition and the more subtle parts mm-hmm. of that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a complex problem, but I, I agree, uh, you know, a more local system I think makes a lot more sense. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there are certain things you can't, you know, you can't grow locally in native environments. But then that makes me think about uh, one of the talks I heard from Advancing Eco Agriculture from John Kemp. He was talking about how California is kind of burning up and, you know, they're not getting as much rain as they used to get. And now they're starting to have to protect their crops. You know, um, it's not like greenhouses, but uh, they had to go and put in infrastructure per- to protect crops from environmental issues. They said, once you do that, the economics of it levels the playing field with the rest of the country as far as like if you have to build a greenhouse here, you've got to build that infrastructure in California and you don't have water, you can do the same thing cost-wise here in New York that you can in California. So it changes that whole uh, you know financial equation around it because let's face it, there is a financial equation at the root of all this, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just So basically, it's a money game at the end of the day. Right. And that that's more important and valuable than, you know, having adequate food production in local areas. <laughs> so. Right. Well, and then and then like uh, one of the other talks I heard from uh, advancing eco advancing eco agriculture. I got to slow that down. I see that way too fast. Um, but one of the other talks I heard from John Kemp was he was talking about like fifty percent of the food we produce in this country we throw out. Mm-hmm. Well. Think how many starving people are. I mean, we just didn't throw out what we are producing, mm-hmm. quality or not. You know, like it seems like there's this uh, initiative globally to like, you know, we have to feed all the hungry people. It's like, yes, that's an admirable goal, but you know, to say that and then go to the restaurant, eat, you know, a quarter of the food that you ordered and throw the rest in a dumpster is like, you're not carrying it out in your actions. So, are you really having an effect? You're gonna go. You're yeah. gonna donate ten cents a day to some organization to like save the, the starving children while you're throwing food out every day. Like, 
That's well, a, a lot of thing. those. A lot of those organizations, they that I'm very skeptical of giving my money to organizations without doing a lot of research because a lot of it just goes to someone's paycheck at the end of the day. But I think, okay. like in terms of the the food waste issue, that I'd say that's really it comes down to um, personal choice, and I think that you know you can be you know, crafty with your leftovers and stuff, always take it home, continue to eat it, but also make a conscious decision that, Hey, maybe just because, um, we've been built up on this food model where we're having three full meals a day, isn't actually what we need. Maybe we don't need to be filling our fridges. So they're stuffed full. Like I personally, I have a very empty fridge, but I have a few things that like I eat all the time. People will come over and they'll be like, what the hell's wrong with you? Where's your food? But the thing is, like, I eat my food. That's where it is. It's in my stomach. It's not sitting in my fridge for a week because I eat it, and then the next day I'll go get a little bit more. I, like, I know I gauge myself what I need, so I'm not buying excessive amounts of food and just having it fill my fridge, especially living alone, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's another th- a struggle is when you're living alone, like, trying to gauge that. But, you know, I'd say, like, now I've, I've gotten it down pretty well <laughs> but I, yeah I there's do, a lot I do, of i do the same yeah. thing i I'm sorry to interrupt you um but i do the same thing like i you know i gauge it the same way like i go to someone else's house for like a party or something they're like oh yeah grab yourself yeah. a beer from the fridge and i go to the fridge to grab the beer and i'm just like holy crap there's like a month and a half of food in here like <laughs> yeah yeah people <laughs> can, don't can realize they eat that. all that before it goes bad like <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's really interesting, like this idea that you just have to, like, I think bu- people buy so much stuff with the idea that they're going to cook different meals and it's all going to go somewhere. But a lot of it's just kind of forgotten because you get lazy, you get tired. You don't always want to make these meals and stuff. And then you just have like a bunch of crap in your fridge that, you know, is, has gone bad and it's just a total waste and financially it makes no sense either. I don't know. I think it, it's, it really comes back to, being mindful about these sort of things and mindfulness um as great as it is it's also like it's another thing on your plate that you need to deal with right you have to you have to actively engage in mindfulness and constantly think about these things until they become a pattern or natural which is you know a lot of people don't have the time for that or don't want to they would rather just overbuy because what is it to them if they can afford it yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I had another point that I've lost my train of thought on now. <laughs> oh, uh, the thing that you were saying about the three meals a day too, like, uh, you know, I know you and I both only eat once a day and I, like, I don't feel well when I eat more than once a day. Like, especially I remember like when I, when I had a regular job and like, we'd, we'd go do, you know, Oh, we got to go eat lunch. And like, uh, all right. And I'd eat lunch, and then, you know, the next two or three hours, I, all I could do to focus on anything. Mm. Yeah. So, funny enough, tomorrow is my my um, Christmas lunch at work, and they've ordered all this food, and I, I got to pick out what I want and everything. And like, I'm trying to figure out a way where I can like throw this in my purse and not look suspicious, <laughs> and just like slip away and out of this situation because the last thing I want to do is eat this enormous meal at work unless they fully anticipate paying me to crawl under a table and take a nap because I am not going back to work, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's like, you're doing me a favor by giving me food, but not at the right time, right place. Like, it's just, 
can I just get this to go? <laughs> yes, I know. I, I know. I was telling you about this uh, last week or something. Uh, you know, I used to. Well, I still work with my friend John, but like, you know, he goes like, want to buy me lunch? Just like, he's trying to do me a favor. You know, like as a friendly thing. But yeah. I finally was like, look, man, I just I can't I can't eat this time of day. Like it just. <laughs> I can't do that and then go back to like weed eating and mowing and chainsawing <laughs> like that. <laughs> it just does. It kills me for the day. Like I'm feeling yeah. bloated and horrible for the next three or four hours while I'm trying to work. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a dangerous mixture with power tools, chainsaws, and feeling like you could fall asleep like at that very moment. <laughs> not a good combination. Yeah. No, definitely not. I see a comment here in the chat from uh, Justin Goodearth. He says, we have three freezer, three freezers and many cupboards of food, but we've grown or butchered our food. And he says it's stupid not to stock up. I do kind of have a point there, Justin. I mean, to, to be prepared is good, but, uh, you know, I see so many people that just go, they buy fresh food from the store, like they buy a week's worth of groceries and they just got a, the fridge stuffed full of stuff. And, you know, I, I can't imagine they even eat it all. I just can't even see them eating it all. So, I don't know. Do you have any sort of a uh, like like reserve in your cupboard of food, or how do you how do you what do you think of that perspective? I guess is even a question. Um, do I have it? No, I don't. Um, I don't know. I'm not much of a doomsday prepper, to be honest. Uh, I figure if that ca- if that happens, well, it's probably my time to go anyway. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, no, I, I don't have any reserves. Um, I mean, honestly, if something bad were to happen, I would probably just go to a store, rob it, take a bunch of food, and then leave. Because realistically, like, if some, maybe, yeah. I mean, not everyone has, like, a big freezer. I have a little one, but a, a lot of things that I typically eat aren't frozen. I mean, I don't eat meat, right? So what am I going to have in there? Like, pizza pockets? You yeah. know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I used to have a huge freezer, and... Uh... I used to do a lot of freezing from like from my farm and you know I there's part of me that misses that like I used to love like you know like freezing a bunch of sweet corn and then having some over the winter like that kind of thing is nice but I also found that like it was an older freezer and the power that that thing took to keep it running just like after a while I was like man I'm just pouring money down the drain to keep this thing running it's just kind of ridiculous you know mm-hmm. and then um, all it takes is one power outage and then you watch all your food go bad or you eat it today <laughs> you have to eat like 50 pounds of garlic in one day no i'm kidding yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'd be rough it's, yeah that would be rough <laughs> yeah but there there is one thing that i i think this is you know a, pretty awesome in terms of how technology has helped us um there's an app called falling fruit uh for anyone who's list, listening and interested and what it is is uh, you type in your coordinates or, I don't know, your phone picks up or your computer picks up where you are. And it shows you a map of uh, your neighborhoods and all of the um, vegetation that's edible is basically listed. So, you know, worst case scenario, you just can find whatever you're looking for, whether it's rosemary or apple trees if they're on in season or lots of different things. And, you know, it's all legal. They just happen to be growing there because... Well, food grows everywhere, really, depending on what it is. So, yeah, you can just, you know, help yourself and pick it off. And it's just really neat anywhere you are. It's everywhere, basically, in the world that I've I've looked at it pretty extensively. So, you know, I haven't found a place that it doesn't exist yet. But 
yeah, it's pretty interesting to just, you know, if you actually need it, there is that technology available. Yeah, yeah. What's the name of that app again? It's called Falling Fruit. Falling Fruit, okay. Yeah, I should have to check that out. Uh, I mean, I don't have a cell phone here, but I'm, there's probably a computer version of it, I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. It's cool because you could just, like, go bike around and pick a bunch of your food up and, you know, there you're done for the day. It's free. You know, it's really amazing how much food is available in the native environment, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> like I see people out in the, in the springtime out trying to kill the dandelions in their lawn. And, like, it's like that's one of the best foods you can eat. Like, <laughs> you can make wine from the flowers. You can eat the greens. You can drink the root as, like, a coffee substitute. <laughs> and I see that with all these different, you know, they call them weeds, but they're not. They're not weeds. They're yeah. Their plants. Don't get don't get oh. me going on weeds. Oh God, <laughs> I love weeds. <laughs> They're great. I don't know. I just hate that I, the whole idea that like one thing they've decided doesn't belong. You know, yeah. and like everything is part of nature, and a lot of these things grow here naturally and are, you know, native to the environment. But someone decided that it didn't look good in their trophy lawn. Yeah, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Even even from the farming side of things, like. Uh, I've, my perspective has shifted a lot on that. You know, my earlier years, I was, but I was trying to stomp out the weeds, and, and now I've, like, I've learned to look at them as like a, not just a soil indicator, but also like, what else are they trying to tell me? You know, maybe I should just like stop a minute and listen to them, or, or cope with them and see what they see what they do to the soil, see how they manage. You know, mm-hmm. now there's times it's frustrating, but like. I think there's a lot there for us to learn if we stop for a minute and think and, and about it and, and pay attention to it and listen to our intuition a little more. Yeah, for sure. Someone should like write a book that's called like why you should love your weeds and just all of the like benefits from that. There is a book on that and I forget the oh, title. Really? I wish I could remember <laughs> the title of it. Cause uh, yeah, it's, a, she's a regenerative farmer and uh, she's got a book on it and she talks about how you, how to use the, uh, the weeds that you find in your land to determine where your soil is at and, and you know, how to use that to guide yourself to make your soil better. Yeah. I oh, forget that's her so name. awesome. She's part of the North, the NOFA mass organization, Northeastern organic farmers association of Massachusetts. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a whole, there's a whole, uh, whole genre of people that are tuned into that actually. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. I mean, at the end of the day, it's food, and a lot of tea is made from things from weeds, too. So, well, especially, like, in the climate we have around here. Um, we have a lot of different herbs that grow and flowers and stuff and that, that can be made into teas. And, you know, it's funny. It's funny, like, you're ripping this stuff out of your garden that's also sold for, like, $30 at, like, Silk Road <laughs> Tea or whatever, and you're like, hmm. <laughs> this is <Yeah>. suspicious. <laughs> yeah, there's a... Um... There's a guy I stumbled across on YouTube who uh, who was trying to grow like food on his farm, and he kept struggling with the uh, the nettles. He finally gave up trying to grow food and just started growing nettles and selling dried nettles. And he's making pretty good money doing it, I guess. So it's like, yeah, oh, listen to awesome. listen to nature. She she uh, she really does have it figured out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like we're about uh, thirty seconds or so from the break. Um, so, uh, I'd like to, I'd like to get back a little bit more, um, about like your food labeling system in Canada when we come back. I'd like to, do you guys have a, a system, 
um, similar to us, where we're like we have the FDA and the USDA. I I believe so. I I thought that we had to follow very similar regulations. I don't I don't know the the acronym for the one in Canada, but we definitely have very strict regulations. All right. Well, we'll pick it up on the other side of the break and uh, we'll go for it. Sounds good. Tuned into the truth frequency. We are TFR. TFR. Truth Frequency Radio. in farms here on truth frequency radio iheart tuned in and talk stream live as well as the pharmacy seas network youtube channel usually tonight's guest is kyla victoria we're talking about food and food labeling and food quality and all that sort of stuff so um i know we were talking a little bit before the break about a difference between the u.s and canada and uh um, i was asking about the uh, food labeling agency up there and uh I know uh, I went and looked it up, uh, and now I forget what it's called, too. <laughs> uh, Cana- I think he said it was the um, Canadian Food and – what was it? Inspection, Inspection Agency? agency? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I believe that's what you said. Yes, Canadian Food Inspection Agency. Yeah. So that's so that's the equivalent of the FDA, you're saying? I, I guess, yeah. Um, we have two here in the U.S., actually. We have the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration, and then we have the USDA, which is U.S. Department of Agriculture. Okay. And so I'm not really sure where one agency ends and the other begins, necessarily. I know the USDA deals more with the farming and production side of things, and the FDA deals more with consumer regulation side of things. Um. But I also know the USDA has, uh, <laughs> like, there was a, there's a raw milk movement here in the U.S. Uh, where more and more farms are trying to produce raw milk, and there's more people who want raw milk. They don't want it pasteurized and homogenized, and like it changes the protein structure and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was uh, there's been several farms, uh, at least one that I know of. I read an article about where uh, the USDA basically has their own um, task force 
where they come in with AR-15s and like, you know, if you're not a, a farm that's been through whatever process for raw milk production, they'll come in and like, you know, take all your equipment and like, it's very like uh, reminiscent of like an FBI agency type thing kicking your door and like, it's really to see that like applied to a farming operation. Like, do you really need to show up with AR-15s? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so extreme. It's like just so unnecessary. In Canada, we'd like put a like a letter in the mail. <laughs> right. See some right? like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's intense. It's a weird thing. Well, I mean, you know, we saw that with the uh, the ongoing drug war in this country, and now we're starting to see yeah. it in, in so many other agencies that you wouldn't expect to have, uh, you know, fully armed task forces for enforcing their laws. It's just unfortunate that the their main tactic of, you know, getting people to be compliant is to uh, instigate fear. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, like, why does it have to be so aggressive? Why yeah. don't we just yeah. like... If, you're, if your logic is so great, lay it out for me why it's so great. And maybe I'll Maybe I'll agree with you. When you're done explaining why it's great, you know, like, yeah. just, like kicking the door in and like threatening me with a high powered rifle. Like. That's yeah. That, the, the authority figure that's played out there is just so misguided, you know, yeah. and it's just, it's just, I don't know when you, when you hear about stories like that, like it, it's very different here. Like we don't something like that. Like I, I feel like, issues aren't really handled that way here. Um, I mean, of course I've never had any, any reason for anyone to come and try and kick down my door and bust me or anything. But like from the stories I've heard about far worse situations, it just seems like there are very few repercussions in Canada. And that can also be, um, you know, a flaw for sure in our justice system. I mean, I could get into it, but I know in one situation, some guy like cut off someone's head in a bus and then walked away. He went to like a mental institute for like a few years and now he's just hanging out in Toronto. So all of you in Toronto out there, you know what I mean? Beware. But yeah, our justice system, our justice system is a little bit sketchy. So we see that in ours too, though. Uh, You know, there's, there's been plenty of times where like, you know, repeat offenders, repeat violent offenders have been released. And actually, we just had another round of that last last year, I think it was. You know, since the whole COVID thing, they're like, oh, we, we can't keep all these poor people in prison. We have to let them out. It's like they're letting out, like, rapists and, like, murderers. And, like, it's like, well, wait a minute. There's a reason they're in prison, right? <laughs> like, I know, what right? are we doing here? Like, I actually have, this is totally irrelevant from what we were talking about. But if you want to know a story about... Um, when I was in Texas, I actually almost got abducted and it's pretty interesting. Um, so basically what had happened was, uh, in Texas, there's like a ton of Amber alerts all the time. There's always like child abduction going on. And in that day, um, I was wearing, funny enough, I was wearing like little farm girl overalls, a little straw hat. My hair was done up in these two braids that were like, pigtail braids and they're you know long and I looked like I was 12 and I was going to the grocery store and I was walking back to the place I was staying at with these grocery bags and stuff and um I'm like we were in a gated community so I was like literally outside of the gate and this guy rolls up and he 
he puts down his um, window and he's looking at me and one of his eyes is looking directly at me and the other eye is off doing some weird stuff. So I know yeah. immediately Uh-oh. there's something going on with this guy, but he's like, miss, miss, let me give you a ride home. Let me give you a ride home. And I'm like, no. And then he like kept pushing and he was like, let me give you a ride home. And he kept following me in his car. And I was like, dude, I live right there. I'm going home right now. And I just looked at him and like, I think at that moment he realized that I was 30 and not 12. <laughs> and he just sped off into like this parking lot and disappeared into the horizon. <laughs> it was he crazy. Definitely, he definitely would not have passed the bird mating test, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, that was during COVID. That was during the worst of quarantine too. So it's like, I knew he was suspicious, not only by everything leading up to that, but the fact that he wanted me to get into his car during COVID, the worst during, of it. During a pandemic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's like... In case anything else wasn't on? in the container, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Lesson wow, is, don't dress up as a little farm girl anymore. <laughs> well, but that's sad, too. I mean, I, I remember as a kid, you know... Like our parents were just, you know, I mean, we were running the streets. We were off in the woods, but, you know, we were, there yeah. were definitely roadways around. Like, you know, like yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of concern about that kind of craziness. I honestly, I've never had an Amber Alert anywhere in my life. Like they kept popping up on my phone other than when I was living in Houston. And, wow. and then it was like once or twice a week. And sometimes it was even like three times a day. <laughs> it's just like everyone is just, wow. yeah, it was crazy. And, like, you can't silence them or anything. Like, your whole phone blows up no matter if it's on silent or vibrate or whatever. It just, it's like a, a, a huge alarm that goes off. So, yeah, it happened a lot. And since I've been back in Canada, not once. I mean, it never had happened to me before here either. So, really weird. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, like, we're such similar countries in so many ways. But, boy, there's a lot of differences, huh? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we just don't broadcast our Amber Alerts. We don't want to you know, disrupt people from their sleep too much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder that. <laughs> Could be. That's uh, it's um, you know, going back to the food thing too. I know uh, you were talking about uh, you know, being able to go out and collect uh, different flowers and foods and stuff. The other thing is you're in a very different environmental area than like I am here in New York, right? Like I know you sent a picture, uh, like I think it was last week of your backyard. It's still green. Like Mm -hmm. that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, it's like things grow year round here. Um, which I mean, I funny enough, like I, have that background of like being interested in farming having farmed a little bit. But the thing is like here you really can do all of it year round. We have, of course we have seasonal vegetables and stuff, but for the most part, like there's not a lot that really dies. You can most likely keep all of your plants, your garden going throughout the year. Flowers will die down, but um, in terms of food, like you could really keep just doing different types of production throughout the year because it's so, it's a super wet environment. Um, it doesn't get that cold. I think, you know, the worst has ever get, got, gotten down to in the last number of years that I remember is probably negative five. So we get, you know, a good snow here and there, but just last a day or two. And, um, and so basically things can survive here 
for a lot longer. And that's why at any time of the year, you know, you can find yourself just walking around with a thin jacket and picking food off of a tree or something. It's just, it's like what LA would be if it didn't burn to a crisp. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Minus all the sun and the, and the dryness, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and then also you have all the, all the, uh, you know, like the aquatic stuff there too, with the ocean right nearby. So you have all sorts of like, yeah. Uh, you know, clams and like sea fish and shellfish and that kind of stuff too. Right? Yeah, the um, the terrestrial relationship with um, the aquatic one is really interesting because a lot of that um, the aquatic nutrients get brought into like riparian zones. Um, for instance, like salmon and stuff get brought into our forests by grizzly bears they only want to eat the brains so they rip them out and they just leave the body scattered amongst these trees in the forest and that um the nutrients in the salmon go into the soil and fertilize the the trees so we get these huge rainforests that are really lush you know they're very healthy you can see that they're just you know they're really quite thriving but it's because of that that it's there's no separation really you know from land and water here the environment is all interwoven and it's just a really interesting relationship between the two. And a lot of indigenous people, um, I forget his name, Tom something, was talking about that. Where Tom Seward, you know, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So Yeah, that was yeah. really a, an eye-opening discussion for me because, like, I know a little bit about the Northwest, but after I talked to him, I realized I really know nothing about the Northwest, like the Pacific Northwest. That's yeah. a, a really interesting geographical area uh, and environment, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're very um, dependent on that relationship with the ocean. Um, yeah, and that's you know that's why it's so lush. That's why, especially like on Vancouver Island here, we're surrounded by water everywhere. So uh, three sides of, I mean, all sides of the island, but three sides of where I'm at right now have water, and you know that it acts as a basin for heat. So during the winter, a lot of heat is released. Um, it causes the temperatures to be like more moderated and we don't get a lot of crazy um, cold snaps or anything like that. So it really does that whole environment of having that water around you allows you to be able to grow for a really long time and keep producing food. And that's why, you know, privately we've talked about where I live and outside of, you know, literally five minutes outside of my house, there's farmland that just stretches on all up the, um, peninsula and people just love to grow here because it's a great place to do it yeah yeah no that's an awesome environment and like, even even with the snowstorms you could you could still grow uh you know crops that would ordinarily not survive snow you could put up a like a low tunnel and basically just protect it from the snow and be good to go mm-hmm. that's really nice it's interesting how much uh that ocean around you like acts as a thermal mass and regulates your environment like we have yeah. a microclimate like that here with the Hudson. If you go to like, I'm in Tivoli, but I'm, I'm away from the river about five miles. If you go right down to the Hudson River, there's a huge difference when the leaves turn color, when the leaves come on, you know, in the fall and the leaves come on in the spring. Like mm-hmm. it's probably two weeks behind us in the fall and ahead of us in the spring. Ahead of us? No, no, it's behind us in the spring too because the river's still cold and it keeps it cold. Oh, I see. Yeah. But, Mm-hmm. But even that little body of water, compared to how much land mass is around it, has a huge mm-hmm. regulating effect. Absolutely. Those microclimates are really interesting to study, and 
I see those even on the farm here, uh, even on a much smaller scale, you know, like the lower valley of the farm, uh, you know, once fall comes on, there's probably a 15 degree difference between up here on the hill and the valley. As soon as the sun goes down, like you, the cold air just settles in that valley and our frosts show up down there. You know, if we get a, a 35 degree night up here, down there, it'll be 27, 28. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite a that's quite a range. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how much it affects it. Yeah, we have we have a bunch of microclimates here too. I mean, like ten minutes away from me, we'll get snow. Um, quite a lot of it during winter time, like Bear Mountain um, specifically is, is the name of it. But it's you know just literally ten minutes away from me by car. It's so close, but there's just like the the topography of the area paired with like the, the relationship with water and you know just depending on like wind patterns too you get you moisture certain ways and you get a we actually get a lot of high um high speed wind storms here too so it's really just interesting um seeing those come in and one thing that i think is particularly neat here too we get these like really <laughs> random pockets of like thick fog and they just because of the dips in the terrain um and the the moisture level and how fog forms and everything you'll get these pockets of fog that will just kind of be knee high and they'll just kind of sit in different areas and just kind of sparse throughout you know like you can be walking along a a road and there'll be just all this random fog kind of displaced everywhere it's really interesting uh, that's cool. I, I've seen that a few times here in New York, but only under very like specific environmental conditions. Um, I've actually seen like like a three or four foot high fog like creeping along the ground. That's always cool to see. <laughs> that is very cool. Yeah, I actually had my most memorable Halloween here, where I was uh, walking through a graveyard and there was about a, a three foot fog on the on the ground, and someone had like put little fake candles and like. Um, brown paper bags to line the walkway and it looked like it was straight out of a movie like Sleepy Hollow or something but it was it was real it was just like of course it had to be on Halloween too which was awesome so but that yeah it's, it, cool. yeah it, it's definitely um, it's just like a very uh, unusual place and um, geographically very interesting so we get a lot of weird stuff like that on top of many other types of weird here too <laughs> Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. So uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, um, I guess I want—I guess I wanted to ask a little bit more about um, food-related stuff. Um, I guess we kind of covered the food labeling agency up there. It doesn't seem like they have the same. Uh, stronghold on producers up there that we have down here you know i i really can't speak to that because i don't know um i i don't know i've i i really i don't have any insight into that because again I'm, i'm not that involved in it but i would say that overall there seems like there's um quite a movement for more organically grown stuff here that's all i can uh, say i mean like that doesn't really mean anything but you're you know. seeing that up there too though that like the people want to know what's in their food and they want 
cleaner, healthier food. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, there's definitely some provinces that I would say don't care. <laughs> but that's, that's just me being a jerk. So, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, I think where you live has a huge effect on your perspective on, you know, everything, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and BC is um, we have it's a major producer of produce, you know. So a lot of that stuff comes from here. So you know, I can imagine that the people here are a little bit more involved and tuned and, into it. Yeah. 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 yeah Whereas yeah. you know, there are other provinces. I I, I believe like Alberta is pretty big on um, the. Um, beef industry is you can't really grow anything there so everything there is just cattle right, that makes sense it's pretty it's really much cold. colder climate right yeah yeah like they've been covered in snow since september so and i think Man. they come out of it i think they come out of it in like june or like late may or something so they only get a few months of normal weather before it's back into snow so the only thing that can survive there is going to be cattle but yeah, yeah I, uh, I know uh, uh, a Canadian beekeeper's blog, Ian Stepler. Uh, man, I'm not sure. I know he's in the, in the Midwest of Canada. I can't remember which province, but I know he had snow in like, you know, early October. He's looking at snow, pulling the beehives into the storage shed, like, and it's like bitter cold for months there. <laughs> like, it's totally, totally different there. Actually, he's going to yeah. be on next week as a guest, so that'll be cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess uh, I guess climate even affects um, your perspective of the world a bit, huh? I, absolutely. I think you know, especially like living in different places and just recognizing how vastly different um, different climates are and going through, you know, personally, the heat of Texas and then going to Calgary where I was prepping for negative 26, you know, <laughs> rigid temperatures. But, yeah, it makes you really appreciate just kind of being in an area that's pretty um, pretty stable. Stable most of the time, yeah. You're almost like in the greenhouse of the world there, huh? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. I, what we call? I think we're known as Garden City or something here. I don't know. Oh really? Oh okay. Yeah, I think so. Awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of old people who garden. That could also be why. But I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, that could be a part of it too. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a cool environment. I've uh, I've always been interested in that area, but I never really knew that much about it until I talked to Tom, and then when I started talking to you, I was surprised how uh, just how diverse that area really is. Like. Mhm. Mhm. It's pretty amazing. It's a. It's very like rugged and um, lush, and biodi- biodiversity here is pretty high for sure on the coast because you have those that world's connecting of the terrestrial and aquatic environments. So you're going to have a lot of um, just basically relationships dependent on either one that are bringing you know life from the ocean onto shore and vice versa. So it's, yeah, yeah. there's a lot. There's a, nothing is landlocked here. I, well, I guess we kind of are, but, you know, 
people are, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, but the the nutrients and the, like the natural cycles are like pretty unrestricted there, huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Um, what was I gonna say? That's something else in my head, but now I lost it again. My brain's not working well tonight. I don't know why. Space case. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> might, might, might be the uh, might be the diesel fumes from the tractor earlier today. I could do it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll blame that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I totally lost that train of thought. I hate when that happens. Is there anything else that you want to talk about, or like, are there any comments from um, the listeners that want to bring anything up? Um, I don't know. I haven't really been paying that close of attention to chat. I know uh, Justin was talking about he uh, he goes prospecting somewhere up in Canada. Let's see. So we visit friends in Roberts Creek often on the Sunshine Coast. People are super nice in BC. Um, <laughs> he was kidding around. He says, picturing Kai foraging for clams on the beach. <laughs> Just kidding. Please please know I, I play a lot. She's awesome. <laughs> uh, he says, local regulations don't apply to national in Canada. Uh, similar here, really. And uh, Also, timber and milk minerals. Uh, oh, that's what it was. Uh, he says he loves prospecting on the Fraser River. Mm-hmm. Have you been there? Uh, yep. Um, I, Vancouver is along, part, parts of Vancouver, South Vancouver is along the Fraser River. For anyone listening who okay, doesn't know, yeah. I'm from Vancouver. I was going to say, I, don't, I have yeah. no idea where uh, the Fraser River is, but, but yeah, you're yeah. from uh, Vancouver Island, right? Well, I'm, fr- I'm from Vancouver. Vancouver Island is different. Oh, right, but, right, right, right. Yeah. My bad, my bad. That's okay. Us, uh, <laughs> us yeah. localers call it the island. The island, right, right. Yeah. But, yeah, Vancouver. Vancouver is right off the Fraser River, and it's a very, from what I understand, a very like sediment-rich river that people will do a lot of clam fishing on. Um, but again, that's you know, people in Vancouver are very dependent on that relationship with the ocean as well, because a lot of the food that we get comes directly from our waters. Uh, I mean, for people who eat fish, I don't could never handle the smell of it, but you know, for people who do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, uh, limited on what fish I actually like. Uh, salmon and trout are basically about it. <laughs> yeah. No, they're the two smelliest fish probably. Right. But <laughs> well, I will say that I did not appreciate when my mother tried to make salmon instead of Turkey on Christmas. It <laughs> was enough to, make me hide in my room. Yeah. So but. Yeah, if, if you don't like the smell it's pretty nauseating for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, looks like we're coming into the break here, so uh, I guess we'll pick it up on the other side and uh, maybe we'll open up the call line and see if anybody wants to call in and Yeah, that sounds good. Jump in.
fear. We are TFR Frequency Radio. To comrades and farms here on Truth Frequency Radio, iHeart, tuned in and talk stream live, and also usually on the Pharmacist Network YouTube channel. But you know how YouTube can be sometimes, so that's right. Here on Truth Frequency Radio, we can speak our minds and not be censored, which is kind of nice. Uh, tonight's guest is Kylie Victoria, in case you're just tuning in now, and uh, we've been chatting about all sorts of stuff environment and food and all kinds of cool things and uh, i want to open up the phone lines in case anyone wants to call in and uh, jump into the conversation in the u.s it is 213-233-3998 or if you're in the uk it's 44-203-393-2871 so if anybody wants to call in uh, you can go ahead and call in and i'll uh i'll drop that in the chat as well so you can uh copy paste to your phone or whatever works for your particular technological device. Uh, anyway, uh, this has been an interesting conversation. We've sort of been all over tonight, huh, Kylie? Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> sometimes yeah. sometimes structure is a little bit difficult to follow. I think it's just nice to have things naturally unfold. I totally agree. And uh, I'm, Structure is something I've resisted all my life and it's hard even uh, even doing the show now to like get myself to like form some sort of structure for it. I think I just naturally resist it. I really like uh, you know natural conversations and letting those natural conversations evolve. I feel like a lot more quality of content comes out of those sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you don't want to edit out anything just because something doesn't follow, you know, whatever you had planned for the night or it doesn't fit. I think there's just entirely too much um, focus on, you know, combing through content to make it refined enough to fit an image where you can miss out on some really weird gems here and there. (laughs) Some great conversation (laughs) that might have otherwise been missed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that organic conversation, it seems like you get uh, into the, the heart of the issues a little bit more and... You know, people get a chance to really express their views and opinions, and that that seems to really like draw out um, a better representation of you know how to approach problems, or uh, you know, or even mm-hmm. just defining what problems might be, or that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Not that it all has to be problem oriented, but you know, I'm saying <laughs> all complaints. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, it's a long list of complaints. <laughs> So what would you like to complain about? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, he won't. Hope he's got lots of coal. (laughs) I'm sure he does. Um, Yeah, I don't have any complaints. I I try to just appreciate what I have every day and um, live from that perspective. Uh, Boy, life is a lot easier when you you, uh, wake up and you're just thankful for what you have every day. Mm-hmm. You can definitely lose sight of that when you, you get carried away with other people's ideas of, um, you know, what 
what you should be striving after. I, I personally struggle with that a lot this year, not so much now and the end of this year, but, um, you know, during the beginning of this year, kind of following in somebody else's path and think that you can do something for them or what they want of you. But yeah, you know, it's good to just be thankful for what you have and appreciate what actually serves your higher purpose. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, I think a lot of people get misled by uh, social media and marketing and all that kind of thing. And they, I know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think they're as happy as they think they are when they, you know, get whatever they've been sold, <laughs> mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah, I, I can definitely um, attest to being kind of in like, I hate to admit this, especially on a social media platform, but um, I definitely like remember earlier this year I had an Amazon addiction and because I had lost like the will to go out into stores, I mean, of course, quarantine and COVID, but um, to get anything, I just didn't want to go out anymore. And so I relied solely on Amazon, which in itself is not a bad idea. Um, of course, there's some repercussions, you know, it's good to support small local businesses, blah, 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 and everything. But um, that in itself turned into like a weird addiction where like you've opened up this service where you can, yeah, you can get all the things you need, but then it's like, what are the things that you want? And then it just snowballs, you know? Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I run into that too. I go through uh, bouts of ordering stuff from Amazon, usually for like the raspberry pie stuff or you know sometimes i need parts for something for here on the farm unfortunately that's like the less expensive place to go i kind of mm-hmm. don't like supporting that huge corporation but at the same time it's like man you know if, if i need a part and it's going to cost me twice as much and then i gotta go burn gas in time to get it and it costs me an hour round trip like i just ordered on amazon i'll be here in a couple days and yeah that's that's really like the the kicker with Amazon is, you know, it's just, it's cheap and it's convenient. And when you open that door, like you really have to have some degree of self-control because yeah. it can get out of hand, especially when you realize like personally, um, I hate shopping for clothes. I would love to be Homer Simpson that has the one shirt and one pair of pants like five times. And that would just be my wardrobe. And like Amazon allows me to do that. You know, I don't even need to go out. I don't need to leave my house anymore. And I know that they're even thinking about like delivering food and by drone and stuff. And so it's like for extremely introverted, reclusive people such as myself, there's really no purpose to leave your home anymore. That's, yeah, I, I'm the same thing. Like for me to leave the house and go to town is like that's a big deal. It's like like really like once a week, if that is like you know, like the fresh coffee is about the only thing I really leave the house for. Other than that, like I'm happy to stay home. I, I like being here. <laughs> well now you can get your fresh coffee with the drone <laughs> yeah i don't know you know they keep talking about that but I, I i don't know if they're actually uh deploying that in cities yet or not but i haven't seen anything like that here i i wonder how practical that actually is you know what if that's actually um going to happen i wonder how, if the, obviously like no, I guess they would have a tracking device and they wouldn't have a camera. But if they did have a camera, think about all the footage that they would pick up that was just like either incriminating or like paranormal in nature or just really bizarre footage, like um, endless hours that they could of just, you know, flying around in different places and delivering their packages and just accidentally stumbling upon some really bizarre phenomena. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I even think about like the delivery. You know, you <laughs> you get your delivery comes in, and you don't know it's coming. You go to get it, and you're like you're still in your you know your robe or whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. Uh, you select the option to turn off the camera on the drone, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pixelate, pixelate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's, it's a weird world we're stepping into, you know, like the technology has a lot of awesome benefits, but it also has a lot of rabbit holes that could really, I don't know, from a social perspective or from a ethics perspective, take us down a, a, a bad pathway, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like just the thing sure. you were talking about, like how easy it is to like, get carried away on Amazon. Like it's a good thing. My budget is really limited because I totally can relate to that. Like I go to order something and there's, you know, 25 more suggestions that are in that genre of stuff. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't mind adding that and this and that and this and that. Uh, but the budget only has room for this. So that's all we're getting. But, <laughs> yeah. but if the budget were totally unlimited, you know, I don't know that I'd have that same self-control. I'm pretty good about it, but you know, I definitely could be tricked into buying a few things I didn't need probably. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like for, I reached a point where like I was definitely exceeding my budget, um, not to a detrimental degree or anything, but I, I really just, I made that realization and I just decided, you know what? I have so much crazy stuff going on in my life. I need to simplify. So I thought I'm not going to have an Amazon, Amazon prescription. <laughs> Subscription. <laughs> Prescription is probably the right word, actually. They'll be there next. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so, not going to do that. I, I cut down like some of my other subscriptions. I, I I just really cut down on like what it was that my money was going to. And at the end of the day, like your money is your energy that you put into getting that. So, and especially if you hate your job, which I do, which is why I'm leaving. Um, you know, it's like, oh, you got to hang on to those dollars because you had to do something you really hated to do them. You know, it didn't, it didn't just come so freely. Not that you, you should ever really just piss away money, but still, you know, like when yeah. you have more, again, mindfulness of looking into something and thinking about, do I really need the, all of these things? You know, and I remember being in situations where the people around me, you know, they have all of their subscriptions to different TV channels. And, you know, they're just, it's just this like plethora of like, just all of these accounts and I just found it really overwhelming, especially the brief moment I had Facebook too, was all just this excess energy expended in directions that were not serving me in any sort of purpose whatsoever. So yeah, basically, um, I cleaned house, <laughs> I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean like all of those things like, you know, like, the social media thing and and then like you know like you know like you're saying like all the subscriptions yeah like they're depleting your resources they're also depleting your time and like what's the mm-hmm. most important thing about your life like this life like even though it seems long when you start it like as you get older you realize this is a lot shorter than my perspective of it when i was younger you know it's like your mm-hmm. time is super valuable it's like what mm-hmm. else do you really have right Exactly. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people want you to believe that your time is worth money or like certain monetary value so that you're willing to give it up for something that doesn't serve you and doesn't make you feel good. And, you know, I've, I've been in that trap and I just, I've reached the point where I'm not going to do it anymore. And I think it's really important to really assess, um, you know, 
what value do you have in your own life where if time is the, the only thing that really matters in the end, what are you really going to sacrifice it on? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like it's like, that's your one actual resource that you have control over how you spend it. Right. It's like, yeah, if you're going to spend it, spend it on something worthwhile. Right. Like, yeah. I, I went through that too. I know we've talked in private about this, but you know, not if I've shared it on the on the show that much. You know, I worked for an engineer and land surveyor for a while, and uh, when I first started that job, I, I really enjoyed it. I really liked it, um, but over time, it started to wear me down. And when I finally got laid off, I ended up getting laid off uh, after the 2008 market crash. And when I finally got laid off, the first month I was just kind of depressed because. You know, I was really concerned about what am I going to do for work? How am I going to make a living? That kind of thing. But once that, once I started to like get past that a little bit from a mental perspective, I, I realized like I wasn't happy in that job, and, and that that were was where the majority of my stress and aggravation and frustration was coming from. It was quite a relief to like have that weight off my shoulders. Mhm. Mhm. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's very it's very freeing when you finally get to let go of that and you know just I think like chasing money is it's it's a race you're going to be doing your whole life, you know? Right. And it doesn't matter how much money you make, you're always going to be chasing more of it. So if you can just separate yourself from that and somehow reconnect with more important values in your life, which I would hope that they're important to everyone. I mean, of course I know that they're not always so important to everyone, but, um, you know, I think a lot of happiness will stem from that, that just basically, basically just breaking out of that system and deciding to go on your own venture. And I think one of the pieces of advice people have told me many times that I absolutely hate is make sure you have a job, lined up before you leave your job and that advice has kept me trapped in, in my situation like, yep. for years and you know what like sometimes you just need to make it take a chance and just just say you know f it i'm out walk away and open yourself up to something new and just you know like basically accept that yeah, you are walking into something you don't really know and it might turn out poorly, but you know, you have to be positive and think that eventually something's going to come along instead of wasting your time in a situation that's just beating you down and taking any sort of energy you have away from you. Yeah. And I think when that happens too, it changes your perspective about things too. Like, like once you come out of that, like that kind of beat down mentality, your whole perspective of life changes. You realize that like life in itself is its own challenge. And just meeting that challenge every day can be really fun. If you're like, if you're living for who you truly are, if you're really like letting yourself express, you know, the best part of you that mm-hmm. it really starts to, you know, it starts to come back and like, and show you like what your path should be. Yeah. You know, my worst days were actually when I was making the most money because it was so easy that I lost sight of a challenge and a purpose and meaning. And so I found that when I, you know, now that I've cleaned house and I'm leaving my job and going on a different path and there's a lot of unknowns um, and the challenges I faced up to that were more meaningful and 
overall made me happier to feel like I was getting somewhere other than rather than just to coast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause yeah. coasting is just, it's too life should always be full of challenges that allow you to grow. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. 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 That's, and that, you know, that like overcoming that challenge is also really rewarding too. Mm-hmm. And, and the more of that you do, the, I think the better you get at it too. The better you recognize it, the better you get at recognizing that, that it is a challenge and recognizing how, you know, how to find a pathway through that challenge to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, you know, the, the, the most beautiful situations kind of come from really difficult challenges, you know, and it makes you, I think, I think it makes you a much more deep and interesting person, but you know, much older as well and older soul or whatever. But I think like basically like to avoid challenges, you're avoiding a lot of experience in life. So I say just like throw yourself in there and do it. And I, I don't know. I know that in the end of, um, this year because 2020 has been crapshoot of a year but it's now getting better and i know like there are a couple of challenges ahead of me in the last couple of weeks of um <laughs> this year which <laughs> should be interesting but you know like you gotta just do it and it's it'll it'll work out eventually however and it'll be worth it yeah 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 i know we both uh, share that sentiment we both have had uh very transformative year for 2020 and uh you know it's nice to see all the all the effort and challenge of it finally starting to pay off and it Mm -hmm. looks like uh we have a caller uh let me see if i can get him unmuted uh 971 you're on the air i think this is justin good earth i think you're on you would be correct yeah yeah okay how are you can you hear me Yes. Hi, I Justin. Can. Hey, Kai. What's going, going on, brother? It's going good. Yeah, I just really wanted to chime in on the whole, you know, the whole community thing and growing and being part of the whole more of your community and depending less on uh, the, the grocery stores and all of that. And I, I really, Kai is coming from a different perspective for sure than the rest of us down in the, the lower 50 or 48 in the downstairs. Yeah. In the basement. <laughs> yeah. We, I, we go up to Canada, we go up to BC and we actually go a little North of where Kai is. Typically, we take the Langdale Ferry over to Roberts Creek, and then we go up the Sunshine Coast and and hang out with friends up there a couple times a year. Well, we did until COVID, but it, it's completely different up there. I mean, people treat you completely different. It's a whole other thing, and and it is it's such a polar opposite of what goes on down in the states and the way things are governed and that sort of thing. 
so yeah. I can totally understand, you know. There's yeah, not the concern for the um, storage and, <laughs> you know, taking care of your... Uh, mm-hmm. Storing up for troubled times as much up there because it's you're surrounded by people are really well stocked up. <laughs> right. And honestly, I'm kind of thankful that people have been alerted to the fact that they can't depend on their stores and everything. People have been have become so much more community oriented and helping each other and and a lot more aware since this stupid pandemic yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny. it is it's okay. it's a, opened a lot of people's eyes i mean it, it just just the ridiculousness of not being able to buy toilet paper woke <laughs> a lot of people up it's like yeah, yeah, for sure. Started, right? like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. There was a huge community movement, I think. And I think you're right, Justin, that like it is super different up here. And um, I unfortunately missed the, the worst of the pandemic in Canada because I was down in the States and saw that half. But then when I came back up here, I saw the way that we are about that. And yeah, it's just it's like... You know, you're right. It's polar opposites. It's really just a totally different mindset and interaction entirely. Yeah, it sounds like you right. guys still have a sense of community up there that we seem to have lost a lot of in the states. I mean, there are niches here that have it, but it's mm-hmm. not it's not the norm for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, really, it's kind of in the Pacific Northwest. It's kind of similar the way people think it's not necessarily it's not similar the way people are governed or whatever it's different but the way people think is really similar in the pacific northwest i mean a lot of people in you know oregon washington and vancouver have very similar views and they're very most of us are really come from a really liberal background you know things have just been really new (laughs) really changing recently but it is people are just really nice and really cool and organic and uh, are into growing and into like regenerative processes you know it's it's not really what is portrayed on the news or whatever that (laughs) comes from the Pacific Northwest I mean we go up to our friends up there and they're they're just totally growing regenerative farms and i go up there to get a lot of my genetics for really good cannabis and (laughs) people are people are solid people are solid up there man they really help us out and they really we work really hard together you know whereas that border really doesn't mean a damn thing to any of us, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just a line, right? It's a line. It's a line in the sand, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, well, I think like 
And sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I was just kind of wondering, like, maybe I hate to bring politics into this, but like Canada, we're provincial, like province based, right? We're not state based. And I feel like Canada is kind of you. I shouldn't use that word. I'm not going to use that word. Not united. Canada kind of works as one. Whereas I feel, despite the name of the United States, the states are very like, yeah, Yeah. they're very governed, you know, individually and things go on per state depending on what's best for the state. Whereas Canada is like, all right, guys, we're all going to do this. So it's kind of like a different team, just different team mentalities. There's big team in Canada and then there's like state team in the States, you know? Yeah, the States is almost like more like 50 separate countries in a lot of ways. Yeah, you're mentioning that, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, it is very divided. And especially if you think about Hawaii and Alaska, I mean, they're completely disconnected from (laughs) the main body of the country. It's like a completely different country. You might as well consider Alaska a third country. I, I tell you what, Hawaii and Alaska are two states I'd actually really like to see. Me too, actually. And it, just to bring this up, how many people pre-COVID have you ever heard have driven to Alaska from the States? You know, nobody, yeah. right? And now yeah. all of a sudden coronavirus hits and everyone's driving to Alaska. Like, really? You just want to come see our parks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're lying. <laughs> <laughs> no, people are escaping. Yeah, yeah. People are escaping like, <laughs> from the of the United States. They're just going into the wilderness. Have you seen like, what's going on? Escape the craziness, right? Have you watched the news? The real news about the United States? Oh, man. I know. I, dude, I lived four months of it down in Texas. That was, that was a hard, uh, hard bit of my year. <laughs> As a Canadian, BC, Holy like. Shit. Texas is. Texas is easy unless you're in Austin. <laughs> Texas is super cool. <laughs> I, I was, I was Try living in Portland or Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What crap. happened? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a valid point. What happened in Seattle was a uh, that was wow. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm like I'm 48 uh, miles from Portland. It's like the city's burning almost every night. Just a bunch of kids out destroying everything. I can't believe anyone wants to have a business in Portland at all. Yeah, yeah, that sucks, man. Sorry to hear that. uh... Truth Frequency Radio is your number one source for news and information without the hate, hype, and fear. We're proud to feature cutting-edge programs like The Christopher Everard Show, The Covert Report with Susan Lindauer, Enemy Within Radio with Tom Barnes, Freaky Friday with The Woo Crew, The Gematria Effect with Zachary Hubbard, America's Evil Genius with Travis Cook, Phoenix Rising Radio with Phoenix. Quantum Connections with Lucky. And dozens more. Did you know? You can listen from any telephone by dialing 641-793-7117. Or call into your favorite show toll-free at 833-TFR-LIVE. Uncensored talking news you won't hear in the mainstream media. Truth Frequency Radio, your protection from deception.